MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, friends. So I don't know what your Twitter timeline looks like, but if it's anything like mine, every week, like clockwork, it has been filled with people absolutely freaking out about HBO's Lovecraft Country. How scary it is, how surprising, how interesting and refreshing a show it is. We covered the book a few episodes ago, and now that the show is about halfway through its season, we are returning to Lovecraft Country to talk about how the adaptation compares to the source material. In the book, the most horrifying thing is always the racism that these characters have to experience. Mm. And in the TV show, the most horrifying thing is not the racism. The most horrifying thing is your body having its skin peeled off. And also there's a snake penis. And oh, there, um, was snake there was a snake penis. Yeah, there the snake penis two was snake the one that, uh, yeah, yeah, the snake penis really got me. Welcome back to Popcorn Book Club. I'm joined by Tian Tran, Jennifer Wright, and Karama Dankwa. Today is uh, screen time, what I newly dubbed this segment. Where <laughs> oh, wow. This is brand new information to everyone but up Dana. For work, up for workshops. I just thought, I thought of it and ran with it, where we discuss the adaptations of the books that we've discussed on this show. And today we're going back to Lovecraft Country to talk about the HBO adaptation, which is a departure, I think I can say comfortably. Yeah, it left out of Gate 38. It was like very different. Flying away. I will say personally, I was kind of all in on this show and it's like camp horror gore um, until episode five, where the gore got a little too much for me. It was where I, out of control. That was Karama, you're gesturing. Yes, Karama, you go. I was, yeah. I was wildly, I was saying, no, 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 I don't want it. I don't want the things <laughs> in episode five. Um, so uh, I know that we're starting kind of at the end because we're just talking about the first five episodes. But um, I will say that one of my worst fears is having my skin removed. Uh, and... Oh. Episode five played into that. And it's funny because whenever I tell people that, they're like, well, that's such a weird thing to be afraid of. And I'm like, then why does it keep coming up 
in media all the time in scary things. Like in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Willow flayed, what's his face, Warren. In, uh, what's it called? The Silence of the Lambs, which I didn't watch till I was an adult, so it's not because of that. There was Buffalo Bill who was like, "Mm, what if I made a skin suit out of fat girls? And I'm like, I'm a fat girl. (laughs) Did you watch watch Birds of Prey? The Harley Quinn movie? I did watch, I did watch Birds of Prey. Yep. Mm -hmm. Face guy. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. There's, there's face face removing going there, on there that I did not enjoy. And it's a thing that people don't notice all the instances of it unless you're like afraid of it. So mm-hmm. I'm like, it's happening again. So episode five was literally my worst nightmare. I was like screaming, watching it next to my mom. And she was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Ugh. Mm-hmm. I think also it, it does change the tone of the story because in the book, it was more like this deal with the devil type thing mm-hmm. where it's like you have this fantasy and what's the cost? Is it going to cost your soul? And in the TV show, it's like, it's a deal with the devil. It's going to cost you your soul. And also existential horror. And yeah, pain. she's like, I yeah. know pain. Um, that wasn't I, pain. I, I think one of the things that I really liked about the book was it feels like in the book, the most horrifying thing is always the racism that these characters have to experience. Mm. And in the TV show, the most horrifying thing is not the racism. The most horrifying thing is your body having its skin peeled off and also there's a snake penis and oh, there, um, was a snake penis. there was a snake penis yeah the snake penis snake was penises. the one that uh yeah yeah the snake penis really got me another jennifer you're so right that like i think part of that is because it's a tv show and so it has to be visual where it's like a lot of the racism they describe in the book is subtle but they also just full-on add scary imagery like yeah. a, a baby head monster yeah Oh, it didn't like the baby, baby head, head monster. Ghost. Baby yeah. head monster made me laugh because it was like, <laughs> I think I was so, I it, it was something I didn't expect at all. And its appearance, I was like, oh, okay, well, we have baby head monster now. <laughs> baby head monster, uh, if you're just listening and don't recall that off the top of your head, but how could you not? I think that was episode uh, three. Episode three, three. Mm-hmm. where uh, Letty buys the haunted house. And it's a little different. Instead of working with the old racist white ghost, she vanquishes him with the help of all the creepy uh, ghost monsters. <laughs> I, I will say episode three had something that is tonally something I really enjoyed about the show, which is that it placed it, it felt more in the context of 1955 and of what was happening. So we had uh, Letty with all of her artist friends moving in and like one of them was James Baldwin and they're all like at a party talking about Martin Luther King Jr. and how he changed his name from Michael to Martin which was brand new information for me. Mm -hmm. I did not know that Um, and I felt embarrassed that I didn't know that but I asked a couple other people and they also didn't know that so I felt and they were black people too so I was like okay I get to keep my black card today. Um, (laughs) But The point of this show in that episode where I was like oh this show means business is when that guy got decapitated by the elevator, but then we get like a full few seconds of the blood pumping out <laughs> yeah. his neck. Of all the episodes, I loved the third episode just because I felt like Karama, like you said, like they, I think they centered so much how this group, this group of people are like dealing with white supremacy at this mm-hmm. time. And I think that like four and five do that as well, but they're four, they're, uh, there are added elements from the the show that are not in the book that were wild 
that I think are wild choices that I don't think serve the story well. Is it the gay stuff in episode five? Because for me, it's the gay stuff in episode five. It's all it's all the queer stuff to me specifically, just because like I feel like it's so glaring, um, especially in episode four. Loved all the like Indiana Jones esque like may I mean I love like a booby trap and a puzzle that needs to be solved and mm-hmm. disintegrating. My favorite trope of like any sort of like narrow thing that people walk across is like at the beginning, they're like, oh my God, I'm going to fall. And then they just like sprint across towards the <laughs> middle of it. Um, so loved that. But the like introduction of Yahima, um, mm-hmm. the indigenous character, Two-Spirited, was just so tokenizing and done with such little care. That it was like very upsetting to see that in one hand, you know, addressing white supremacy and how black folks have to deal with it is being done with such care. And then like it's not being it's not being thought of intersectionally at that moment felt Mm -hmm. like a missed opportunity. It also felt to me. And again, we had the series hasn't finished yet that Montrose's being closeted hasn't served the story yet that it felt like a sort of a strange interstitial where we pull away and see that and then come back to this main story that's completely unrelated. Yeah, like love a drag ball, love the uh, love the acknowledgement that like ballroom culture comes yeah. out of black culture, mm-hmm. yeah. but also in the larger context of this story that we've been telling, it just felt very um, unmoored. It didn't make sense in mm-hmm. its placement. I didn't understand why it was the story we were telling. It didn't, for me, really give Montrose much character growth. And it just felt like somebody was like, we should, because it's 2020, have queer yeah. characters. And I'm like, but also maybe have them as part of the story or have their queerness be part of the story. Have it save somebody. Have it be important in some way other than just like, hey, information. Or even have like a spooky Lovecraft thing happen in that culture. Like you can even like some of this is sort of interconnected stories that happen in different locations. And if they were interested in exploring like black ballroom culture, they could have done some some spooky Lovecraft stuff there. Yeah. And especially with mantra, like I at the very end with the ballroom culture, I loved that scene and I loved seeing him like, you know, enjoy himself and finally embrace. But I'm like, why couldn't we have that from the beginning? Like, what was what was the point of making it like a salacious reveal in episode three? And then also like a bizarro, like back alley BJ in the first episode. Like neither of those things needed to happen. Well, the interesting other Montrose mystery element, uh, obviously, spoiler alert, everything on this podcast, but they decide to kill off George in the second episode and they also maybe I read too much into this did they sort of imply that George was Atticus's real father they 100% implied that yeah there's a lot of soap opera stuff going on with all of these characters so I think that the thing about implying that Montrose was not Atticus's real father was uh, an early hint at Montrose's queerness Mm. as well because um, we also have the fact that George is involved with Atticus's mother as she appears to him in this vision when they're in their rooms. And I, I have more to say on the being in the rooms thing later with the visions. But um, I also thought that the I was having a discussion with one of my friends about the show because a lot of my friends have been texting me about the show. And 
she read the book as well. So shout out to my friend Margaret, whoop, whoop, who read the book and watched the show. And she was like, well, in the book, I felt like nobody was ever dying. So like three stories in, I felt like, okay, I'm not worried that any of them are actually going to die. And I thought that was a really interesting point, how there was a departure from that, where we have a main character that we're like, oh, I read the book, I know he's going to be fine. And then they were like, gone, sort of Game of Thrones-esque. So I feel like that, in a way, is them telling us, hey, it's not safe for anyone. This isn't TV. This is HBO. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They spent all the budget on the blood and the baby heads. Um, But something that bothered me a little bit, and I I don't know how other people felt about it because I can see how it would be cathartic, is the characters in the show feel so free to express their anger. And I kept thinking, no, you, you can't just like take a baseball bat to a bunch of white men's cars. You will die. It's the 1950s and you're a black woman. No, you can't be a black woman covered in blood at a jazz club. You're you're going to get shot. Um, there were a lot of moments where I felt in the book, the characters felt a tremendous pressure to be very polite, uh, to be very differential. And that was what, part of what built so much suspense for me and so much tension in the book. And uh, the characters in the TV show do not feel that way. And um, maybe that is a more pleasurable feeling for modern viewers. For me, I, I, I just watched her uh, bash the cars with a baseball bat and thought, like, they, they'll shoot you. Like, these people have guns. They will shoot you. And they will say it's because you're a violent criminal. I think part of that attitude, to re- I mean, not to put words in the mouth of the people who made the show, but I think it does go back to sort of that conscious decision of making the real enemy the supernatural yeah. in this world of, yeah. of mm-hmm. uh, racism, where it's like even consider the the episode, uh, the second story in the book where Letitia buys the house and the third episode in the series. The enemy, the real big bad in the short story were those white boys who break in. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she had to sort of figure out how to use and harness the spooky power of the house mm-hmm. to her own advantage, even if it meant you know, working with the racist old wizard who's mm-hmm. dead. Where in this, the big bad that she has to conquer is the spooky haunted house. Yeah. But uh, the white people can still shoot her. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, like racism that... should still exist and be an ever-present threat in this I, world. I feel like and... it was an ever-present threat and she did get arrested. And I think one of the mm-hmm. things that the show makes clear is that Letitia's been arrested a bunch. So... Yeah. That's not necessarily a fear that she has. And also, she's not alone when she does that. I think it would be very mm-hmm. different if she didn't have the support and the the um, firepower of her friends there. Like, there were multiple guns on her side, and they mm-hmm. stood there holding their guns. And to this day, I think that there is a fear that exists in white people of Black people with guns, which is why it's so interesting that people who are big Second Amendment people do not stand up for Black people with guns. So like Philando Castile, he had Mm -hmm. a gun in his possession when he got shot by the police. And he said, hey, I have a registered firearm. I'm going to pull it out and show you. And then they shot him. Right. And NRA people don't stand up in that instance. And I thought that it was really a, a show of care and support that wordlessly all of these guys went and grabbed their guns so that she could express her anger. And I think that she had been trying very hard not to. And we find out that she'd made 21 complaints to the police. Mm. She It's sort of that the riot is the language of the unheard situation. She did everything she was supposed to do. And 
I think that they didn't do a great job of showing her doing everything she was supposed to do because like nobody wants to see her file paperwork and make complaints. <laughs> but I think that in the story, it is there. And I don't think that it is a zero to 60 anger. I think that it was a slow boil over 10 days. I mean, it was 10 days and she filed 21 complaints. And, you right. know, the one thing in the show that I thought the show did really well to sort of show the insidiousness of like systemic racism that wasn't in the book was in the Ruby episode with the other black girl who gets hired as the shopkeeper instead yeah. of her. And you and you find out gradually that the manager only hired this thinner, uh, younger woman who was objectively less qualified because he's like, well, yeah, because then, you know, we can fire her and we can show like that all black people are like that and unqualified and bad at it. And also because he wanted to sleep with her. Yeah. Also that. Too. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, well, he explicitly a, tried to assault her. Yeah. And then assaulted yeah, okay. her. Yeah. But just like the way he said that around thinking that Ruby was like a white person that he could confide that in was mm-hmm. so sickening. And that was definitely a moment that wasn't in the book that I really appreciated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, too, like Ruby with the other shop store workers a word I've never said before. <laughs> um, the other, like, the shop girls, yes. The other yeah. shop girls. Yeah, for them, for them to, it's, I mean, I think, you, you, I think in a position like that, like, you're black folks and, like, other women of color are like, what do, what do white people say when we're not around? Not, like, in that situation. And she, like, got to stand there and listen to these people be horribly racist and... And and that was an additional scene from the book that I also like really mm-hmm. found as a as a compelling use of her being like yeah. metamorphed into a white woman. Yeah, that was great. I didn't like the snake peanuts. Let's talk to some of her sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Popcorn Book Club from iHeartRadio, and we'll be back right after the break. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robey, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. So we're back with Popcorn Book Club from iHeartRadio. Yeah, I did miss the fact that Hillary, as the white lady character is called, that name came from Ruby's ambition to do things like climb Mount Everest and her interests outside of mm. working in a shop and working. Like, it's it's sad to me that on the show, her biggest ambition is to work in that shop. Mm-hmm. And I know that in the book, mm. she does eventually go and, like, try and get a job that she wouldn't have been able to get otherwise. But we also know that she wants to travel and adventure. And that's one of the reasons that she looks into being like an airline hostess, a word I've also never said. (laughs) 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 Um, What are are they called? What do we call a flight attendant? I'm like, what's the 2020 word? (laughs) What is the 20? Flight attendant. attendant. And of course, they spend a lot of time on the manager which is its own cool. thing. And I'm slowing oh, down because I don't want to have to be the one to talk about what she does because that I'm not a squeamish person, but that one I didn't even know made me squeamish. It, it, yeah, me too. I'm sorry. That was really uncomfortable for me. Yeah. Who's going to be brave enough? Who wants to describe what happens with the manager? Oh, gosh. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Tian, you sounded like you were going to the guillotine, so I'll do it. Um, so... Ruby sees that this manager guy hits on the other black lady who's working at the store. And then she is like, hmm, what am I going to do? Because um, what's her face? Christina. Was it Christina or was it, what's this, William? William. It was at this William. Point, who at knows? this point, who, who, the who can tell them apart? My friend referred to them as the Aryan twins. That <laughs> yeah. was very funny. <laughs> um, so... She is like, she's asked the question, who are you really uninterrupted? And she's like, you know what? I am going to get revenge on a white person. And it's this man because she feels like he has taken advantage of his position of power. And she's Mm -hmm. like, no, what you're not going to do is take advantage of your position of power and use it to subjugate this black woman and then Mm -hmm. act like you're going to fire her because she's not good at her job, which she isn't. But Mm -hmm. that's your fault for hiring her when she was vastly underqualified, when they had been receiving applications from Ruby herself, who was very qualified. So if they were interested in integrating, they had qualified applicants that they did not take advantage of, which is a whole other thing because there's just this level of um, like Ruby's larger and she's a little bit older, like we had talked about earlier. But anyway, so she goes in as Hillary and she acts like she's going to seduce this manager man. And then she... She does a really good job, too. She does a great job doing that. <laughs> I will say that actress is phenomenal. I enjoyed her so much. Yes. She contains multitudes. And I really liked her when she was Dell in the beginning, too. And just, like, the transformation from episode two to episode five for that actress was just chef's Yeah, kiss. she's incredible. Um, but so she does this little seduction. And then she, like, blindfolds him, if I remember correctly. And then that's when she changes and she takes off her high-heeled shoe and she shoves it up his butt and, mm-hmm. like, just wrecks him in the it's butt. Not e- 
It's not even like a sexual. It's like a, a full on <gasps> stabbing. It's a like stabbing. In his, blood. Yeah. It's, it's a not a happy stabbing. wreck in the butt. It is a very uncomfortable for viewers and I'm sure for him <laughs> in the butt. A butt stabbing. Yeah. yeah. And it's I mean, it is an assault and it is an assault born out of revenge. And I don't like any sexual assault on screen. And yeah, that's same. not an exception because I know that he did a bad thing. But like we're I mean, we can't say, oh, it's OK for people to assault people when they're bad people, because then we're making you decide, like, who's a bad person and who deserves it, which is yucky. So I felt uncomfortable with that addition to the yeah, story. It reminds me a little bit of uh, when people rejoice about prison rape. When someone terrible yeah. like Harvey Weinstein goes to jail and you suddenly see thousands of comments on Twitter mm-hmm. saying like, ha ha, you're going to get raped in prison. It's going to be great. No, I still don't want that. I don't want rape to be happening to anybody under any circumstances. Yeah. And that feels like exactly what happened here. Yeah, And exactly. it's like I get that it's a television show and that there's like a catharsis and a power shift. But uh, visually, I think maybe on purpose they made it difficult to watch. I mean, 13 Reasons Why did a similar thing in, I think, their second season where somebody gets assaulted with Uh, a broom handle. And that was not in the book And they show it? Oh, that fucking show. No, they show Um, his face while it was happening. Spoiler alert for if you are two seasons behind on 13 Reasons Why. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, what are the ethics of showing, like, a rape on TV? I just, like, what? Why? I mean, my thing about it is... I don't like it and I don't think it's good, but I'm not going to like write a letter about it. I mean, I guess I am going to talk on a podcast about it, but (laughs) I mean, there are so many shows that do this and uh, that are run by white people. And if I'm like, I'm going to hold this to a higher standard than the 95 white shows that do this, then Mm -hmm. what does that say about me? I will also go on the record as saying with this podcast, I found those episodes of Game of Thrones hard to watch. I skipped that whole season there's there's the one Sansa particularly one. The bad Sansa season i just like i didn't i didn't watch it well for me i, I mean i know this isn't a game of thrones episode but um the the sansa thing was interesting because it's like so many people have been assaulted before and why is sansa the, the straw yeah. that breaks the camel's i mean back? daenerys is assaulted in yeah. one right right so it's sort of like I, it was the femininity and it's i think speaks to the fragility of white femininity that people uphold and they're like oh sansa that's where i draw the line totally correct i think i peeled out like season two because i was like this all of this is bad <laughs> well look i guess there's a question in my mind because i do think there are shows or movies that might hint upon the fact that a character is raped and maybe we should be unflinching in looking mm-hmm. at what that looks like and how horrifying it is. And maybe there's something to be said for that, but I don't know if in this one, or frankly, if in a lot of episodes of Game of Thrones, it's really the essential linchpin that keeps the story moving forward. Um, would it have worked as well if she just like beat the shit out of that guy? Um, if, yeah. uh, I mean, was there... Was there an option there that wasn't raping him? I think a lot of television shows and visual medium use sexual violence to shock viewers on Mm -hmm. purpose and to get Mm -hmm. the reaction. But she's like bloody skinned and transforming in front of us. There's so much shock happening there already. Yeah. I think that it's a problem sometimes I have that people paint strong female characters sometimes with a very broad brush. And I thought that 
I liked that Ruby was a little different than Letitia, that her strength was a softer, more feminine strength Mm -hmm. and that it was more practical. But she was still like a a sensual and sexual person, but in a different way than Letitia. And I think sometimes Hollywood is so used to having a badass female character that they just push the badass female character button. And it's one a little one size fits all. Yeah, that a strong female character just means somebody who behaves as a man would if he was suddenly forced to wear a dress and deal with the limitations that accompany mm. femininity. And uh, that that's not necessarily true. Uh, we should, I, I would hope, gravitate towards seeing strong female characters as being characters who are able to make decisions and uh, take control over their lives and make decisions that they think are going to align with their values and what they want. And I think the book does a really beautiful job of that. One of the other things that bothered me was that Letitia gets a romance so immediately and so forcefully in the television show. I love the fact that Letitia's big dream was she was going to start a boarding house and it was going to be really great. And Mm -hmm. she was going to be a successful business owner. Um, I liked the Ruby's trajectory was she didn't know exactly what she wanted to do with her life and she figured that out by the end. Those were really lovely arcs to me, but they feel like maybe much smaller arcs than the TV show has chosen to give the characters. And television shows tend to always say a very attractive male lead, very attractive female lead. Gotta get him kissing. That's yeah, what we gotta do. Together. Put their faces together. together. That's what the audiences want. I mean, I wish it was. Of, of course, that is what audiences want. But it would be. It would have been such a great opportunity just to show like a strong, respectful friendship between yeah. like opposite gendered folks. Like would two hot have people loved it. Yeah. Two hot people can be friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are all hot and we are all friends. Let's go. <laughs> we were speaking uh, about uh, femininity and transformation. And I feel like that is the segue to the other big change from the show, which is Christina instead of William <laughs> slash Christina slash William. <laughs> how, do you, how do you guys feel about that? I'd for uh, re- recap, in case you haven't watched the show yet, but are listening to this anyway, in the book, it was just sort of the character of William, who is Samuel Braithwaite's uh, son. In this, it is Christina, who is his daughter. And William was just sort of like skulking around as sort of a butler, but not really. And then it's revealed that it's Christina taking Polyjuice Potion. This William is also like an Alex Skarsgård knockoff. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like even down to the raspiness. I'm I'm here for it. I'm not complaining. Look, I'm that scene of him pulling stand. up outside Ruby's I've office seen... in the car, sunglasses yeah. down. Yeah. Hot damn. I love the Alexander Skarsgård archetype, and I think that that's should, that should be in most shows. <laughs> <laughs> Just like voice barely above a whisper and always so right here. Yeah. I will say um, in terms of characters being turned into female characters when they were male characters initially, I enjoy the complex nature of Christina's relationship with the sons of Adam. Mm -hmm. And I think that it does give dimension to the story, but I don't know why Horace was changed to Diana. And I don't think that it's added much to the story. And I, I, yet, I don't Mm -hmm. know, because we haven't gotten to the devil doll or whatever its equivalent will be on the show. So I don't know how 
that's going to pan out. But so far, I'm just kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, yay, more women on screen. Always happy about that. But why? Yeah, yeah. I, I totally get it. Where for Christina, it's like very clear they want to like bring up issues of like white feminism and complicity and the ways that even like a white lady would want to transform into a white man to feel that kind of privilege. Mm-hmm. But you're right. We, we've gotten Diana, but she hasn't done anything yet. And I think that with killing Uncle George, I think that it could be really fascinating to see Hippolyta, as they call her on the show. It pains me to say it that way because I'm just like, that's not what I was trained in for Uh Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I want to respect the show and the way that it's pronounced on the show. But Hippolyta would be raising Horace without a father. And I think that there is a lot of... uh, there's a lot of conversation about Black men in America being raised without fathers mm-hmm. and what that looks like when America demonizes and vilifies the Black man and you don't have this sort of role model. And so it's like, who's going to be his role model? Is it going to be Montrose? Is it going to be Tick? Mm-hmm. So I think that that could be really interesting and we sort of do not see that in the same way with Diana. And I will say that that actress is phenomenal and I think that she is adorable and funny and has good comedic timing and is interesting thus far, but I just uh, I'm curious to the uh, the story of it and why in the writers' room they were like, no, no, let's change her. So that's that's what I'm wondering. It could be an interesting thing because the power with the the devil doll, right, is like the the fear of the the racist representations, where there is uh, no shortage of the way young black women are racistly portrayed in the media so it could be and just speculating that they wanted to do more with that Mm -hmm. yeah i wonder too if some of it is like i I think there's such a trope of sci-fi and like comic book writing is such a like young male uh pastime young male interest and i i I totally agree with what you're saying karama that it would have been interesting to see horace's horace but I wonder if that is what they're playing at, too, that like this young girl is like s- drawing comic books and like mm-hmm. super into sci fi, super into comics. And I, I hope more of that gets talked about as we move forward. What an amazing point to stop talking <laughs> and get some ads in. This is Popcorn Book Club. We'll be right back after this quick break. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. 
On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Okay, we're back with Popcorn Book Club. Coming back a little bit to the anger, which I know can be cathartic. Something I really loved about these characters in the book was the kind of gentle pragmatism of them, that these are all very practical, very sensible people, and they have to be to survive. And I feel like a little bit of that has been lost for the sake of drama in the television show, so that they can have more dramatic couplings and be thrown into more dramatic situations. And I guess that makes for better television. Mm. Maybe what I want is for this to be like a BBC drama where people have like very quiet conversations over (laughs) coffee and try to make the best possible choices to keep everybody safe. But um, and and definitely is not called a midwife. But I I do miss that a bit. I think that there is just because of the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., formerly Mm -hmm. known as Mike King, which is just, (laughs) again, mind blowing. Um, But I think because of his legacy, there is this sort of view of the past of Black people being very complacent and very, (gasps) like you said, respectful in the ways that they're addressing racism. And I do Mm -hmm. like that we're seeing this story from the past. And it's not just, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. It's Mm -hmm. Black people who are like, okay, you've been torturing me for 10 days. Mm -hmm. I'm going to fuck your shit up. I'm going to destroy your car. And with the exception of Ruby, it's not about, like actively harming the white people, but it is about showing like, I'm not going to take this lying down. And I think that that is very important. And I think that there is for a lot of black people, this reluctance to be seen as angry because (laughs) you get labeled as this angry black person. It's like, but there's so much to be angry about. Mm -hmm. And there's so much to be angry about still today. And it just sort of feels similar to the, well, I feel like they should protest in a different way sort of feeling that people Mm -hmm. have been expressing recently. So I think that, yes, there are a lot of reasons for them to be restrained. And I think in the book that does show more of that. But I also think that that speaks to the fact that the book was written by a white person and the show is helmed by Black people like Misha Green and Jordan Peele. Mm -hmm. And Jordan Peele, who is biracial, and he does have, you know, a white mother as well. So I think that he can sort of he gets he's visibly black so it's not like he's living in the white world unencumbered but i think that he comes at it from a different perspective mm-hmm. yeah and i also thought that the plotting moved ahead quickly to a point where like even in the first episode when they were talking about this about the sundown county like i didn't think like the map was clear in my head of where they were going even though i had read the book like it just happened very mm-hmm. fast and i also think that has something to do with like a television show needing like one clear through line story where the book did feel like they were very distinct stories that then all kind of 
came together in the end where they were like, okay, no, we are going and making this one show with one storyline. And so I think um, the pacing is different a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is, is there a thing about the show that you guys love? One thing that you were like, I think they're doing this really, really well. There is so much to love about this series. Um, like, even just from getting to see this world on screen is so amazing. Like, the sets, the costumes, all of that, the effects and everything. And and I, I like, I, I do think that this, ep- this series is doing a very good job of bo- both showing the horror of the monsters and the horror of the racism as well. Like we are getting a full range of like, you know, there's the cross burning that's on the front yard. And then we're also seeing like police being violent and like in, in that, in the scene where Letitia is handcuffed and like the cop holds onto the thing and the, the driver's just going back and forth. And so like, I think there, there is a good balance of those things. And I think, that seeing that at this time is so important and very compelling right now. For sure. I was going to say, I think it like visually is stunning and the actors are all great <laughs> almost across the board. And just it, it gives you a lot to chew on as you watch it. And then you sit with it. Like once the shock of the gore wears off, I find myself just like sitting thinking about an episode for like a full five minutes. I will say what I enjoy about the show, but I wanted to address something that happened in episode two when they had these visions. There was the the penis snake that so deeply traumatized Jen. Um, and uh, <laughs> it was upsetting. It was upsetting to all of us. But um, there there was the, um, the woman from Korea in the army uniform that was attacking oh, yeah. uh, Tick. Oh. And then there was also Tick's mom in, uh, in George's room. And... Um, there were they were all being watched by the members of the Sons of Adam during their like cocktail hour, which to me sort of spoke to the idea that like the primarily white viewership of HBO is watching these horrors happen to black people. And I thought that was really interesting mm. in terms of holding up a mirror to society. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy the sort of meta criticism of that which i think is really interesting because i mean hbo does have shows like the wire where people it's like oh we're Mm -hmm. looking at black people in the ghetto and watching how they live and it is an incredible show from what i've heard because i've never watched it uh that (laughs) delves into interesting characters and stuff like that but still at the end of the day it is about it's not as much about black triumph and black joy Mm -hmm. um to HBO's credit, I will say they have a black lady sketch show. They have Insecure. I'm not saying they only traffic in black pain, but uh, it is something that media in general does. But something I really enjoy about the show, I briefly mentioned this earlier, I like how it positions itself in history in a way that I felt the book did not. So, like, one of Diana's friends is Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. And uh, that they didn't, like, if you knew, you knew. But if you didn't know, it wasn't like, and look, now it's Emmett Till. They were just regular people living their regular lives. And it was really sad because he was with the Ouija board. He was like, oh, am I going to enjoy my trip? Yeah. And it said no. And I'm no. like, oh, you are not. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and something else that I really enjoy is just the multitudinous of Blackness. Like the multitudinous nature of Blackness that the show 
has. So we've talked about how Ruby's different from Letitia. And just because I feel like, as we all know, there is a Blackness as monolith narrative in mm-hmm. a lot of Black media that is starting to shift. And it's weird because it was it wasn't like that in the 90s. And then it was like that. And then now it's sort of shifting out of it again. So I hope that we stay in the out of it. And there are more shows like this that show that there are Montroses and Georges and they get to be different, but all be Black and all still, you know, keep their Black cards. <laughs> and that they all get to have agency in this. Like, I think that mm-hmm. is something like they all, even though all these in the show, these characters are experiencing all of these terrible things, both magical and real they all have agency, which is not always the case. Yeah, right. in some in some stories, they're the sidekick, and then some story, they're the hero. Mm-hmm. Everyone, they all and hero. No one wants to go through this, but they're all the the focal point of mm-hmm. a story, except for Uncle George. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and like in a different show, I think someone like Letty would have been, you know, a sidekick to Tick. But I love in that third episode where she grabs the map and she literally like jumps down the rope into the tomb and I'm like oh well your hands um (laughs) and like she has that moment where Tick tries to stop her in Montrose and I love that scene where she was like you act like you're the only one that this is happening to like I was shot at he was kidnapped like I I think that is so exciting because like that doesn't happen in every show for like a female like a black female character so having Mm -hmm. to see that is like very exciting and (laughs) journey is hot (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I love the journey is first build on the show. She is number one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's her show. It is her Tick's show. Just She's living so in it. good. <laughs> well, really, everybody in it is so good. I just have to say my favorite character that has no bearing on the story at all, just like a little co-star, was the little boy in the library in oh the museum God. episode yeah. who was oh, reading no. Journey to the Center <laughs> of the Earth. I love a rule following kid who has to like <laughs> tell the adults that they're out of line. That's such yeah, a fun like, side character. Shh. <laughs> I hope he comes back. He won't, yeah. but I hope he does. <laughs> In that realm of camp, have okay, have any of you watched The Floor is Lava? No, I haven't. Oh, it's such a good quarantine show. I've heard only good uh, things about it. If anyone's watching this sounds silly and stupid, but when when uh, Tick puts his hand into the door in episode three before the tomb, and then the like rope ladder drops down, I was mm. like, "This feels just like guts," or like the production value on that <laughs> moment felt very Legends of Legends the Hidden of the Temple, oh, yeah. <laughs> where no one could ever build the Shrine of the Silver Monkey. It's three pieces, and it's a monkey. It's three like, pieces. It has a head and feet and a torso. What do you think? Well, it's probably very stressful when you're doing it. There are a lot of lights everywhere. You're a child. Yeah. Yeah. That's... They know what they signed up for. They do a walkthrough before with the kids. So they let them do everything. Oh, well, I should have. Yeah. <laughs> also, they've ostensibly seen the show. <laughs> Talk about, oh gosh, Legends in the Hidden Temple. What a, what a, what a show that does not hold up and is so problematic. <laughs> <laughs> what what storylines do you think or predict you will see from the book that haven't been touched on yet or that you would want that you would like to see in the rest of the episodes? I'm really interested in the devil doll and how they're going to handle that. I don't think that Hippolyta is going to go to another planet because they actually say at a certain point 
that the um ooh, what's the spinny thingy called? They they have a the astrolab. No, 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 not the astrolab. The the solar system model thing. There's a word for it. Oh, it starts with an O. It's airline hostess. That's what it is. <laughs> Orrery, Orrery. Yeah. yes. <laughs> but the orrery, she says, isn't that the key to Hiram's time machine? Oh, Ooh, what? I yeah. I mean, that could be an H.G. Wells reference. Because that H, I was going to drop that and be like, that H might have stood for Hiram. It did not, but it could have. <laughs> well, so, and then, like, I watched the, um, I watched the episodes again, and I watched them on HBO Max, not the screeners that they gave us, because you get to see the little, like, coming up in this season thing. Oh, yeah. And there was, like, a thing where she looked like, Hippolyta looked like she was in ancient Rome or something. So I think oh. that she's not going to space. She's going to time. Oh, that's so. interesting. Oh, oh, that's a cool Very twist. Doctor Who. Yeah. Nice little twist. Yeah. Karma, so. you, since you watched on HBO, did you notice any changes in the special effects? Just out of my own curiosity. No. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Right. <laughs> okay. I thought this, I mean, um, I thought the some of the stuff looked a little better. I don't remember any, I don't remember noticing anything. Oh, we have never addressed the weird birth scene that happened in episode two. The that was weird. The, the, oh, the Wrigley oh, birth the, scene. Uh, the, yeah. That was weird. Wait, what which was birth that? scene? She, uh, Christina goes to like, there's a cow that's breaching and oh, I think it's yeah. birthing yeah. a cow. But it she, and it's a monster. A monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. She makes a weird, monster right? baby. It's her little. super weird. I think I, I think blocked it, that out. <laughs> I think I really did. I think I was like, this is so off. I don't even, I, I can't even remember it. It's very strange that they made the decision not only to show like the dark thing lurking in the forest, which the book just like alluded to, but they show it in detail. And then they're like, that's not enough. We should show you. Everyone's going to wonder how they were born. Got to <laughs> answer that question. <laughs> yes. it, they come from cows. <laughs> oh my God. The question I'm, on everybody's lips. I'm excited to see Hippolyta's story as well. Um, whether it is time travel or space travel, I'm excited to get more of her. She seems like a fascinating character on the show. I Same, love that, that when George... Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, when George dies, she just starts ripping out pages of Dracula, which is bizarre yeah. but also very disturbing in like a ooh she's in pain yeah. way mm-hmm. um something i'm curious about is the korean war and the korean character that has shown up and is on the credits so i mm-hmm. think it's coming back and i saw in the preview thing that like there are more korean people so there was I don't a, know what the, that she's is. on the phone with him at the end of episode 5 right is that mm-hmm. her that's yeah. her right definitely yeah. her okay. i checked that okay I'm interested. I'm curious to see that. Yeah, she was my favorite real world cast member. <laughs> she did not. She was. She was on the real world? Yeah, she was on the real world. Oh, I did That's not know that. Funny. I don't watch the real world. Well, I'm glad it worked out for her. Yeah, she did. Like, yes. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Am I lying now? No, I'm a, I'm 100% positive. Because Tien, I remember. Did you confuse two Asian people? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, actually, I remember watching MTV and being like, oh, an Asian person, and I will follow her career oh, after this. Oh, it must be so satisfying to see her career blossom she's in doing this way. Really like, she's doing well. a great job. Yeah, yeah. she was on the Real World San Diego and the spinoff Real, Real World Road Rules Challenge. 
<laughs> I loved those seasons too. I feel that way about Karamo Brown, especially because our names are anagrams <gasps> of each other. I always forget that he was on Real World. Never Back forget. before he was out, out of the closet. Wow. Oh. Yep. Yep. I also I, saw him on an episode of Next once, and that was funny. He was on Next. That is very funny. I always wonder what happened to those people. Mm-hmm. That episode has been scrubbed <laughs> from the internet. Funny. But back to the show. <laughs> oh, I wanted to say what I was excited for. Um, I love, like, a heist and a con, and then that feeling when everyone gets one over on the person. which so it's like, but, and then the, it's gone, like the end of Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. So I really hope that a similar thing happens Agreed. to Christina at the end of the series. Just because I, I love a, a ragtag group coming yeah, together I, and I pulling I really pulling hope eyes. so. That would yeah. be so fun. I wonder, so I, I was thinking, sorry, this is changing the subject again. In the terms of queer representation, would the show have been fundamentally different if just Christina and Ruby were I like mean, super hot? When, when at the end gay? of that, <laughs> that episode where she turns, William turns into Christina, I was like, yeah. Yeah, this is what we wanted. Why not from the beginning? Um, but then there's, you know, that TV trope of evil gay people. So mm. does this make Christina a queer Oof, icon what's the rule? or what? What's the what's the status there? And maybe she's pan queer icon. Pan icon. I mean, yeah. Queer. Queer icon. Yeah. But yeah, so there are a lot of interesting changes. I think we can all agree just like a visually stunning and compelling show. Uh, But next week, we are diving into a different world. We're going into a, dare I say, brave new world. I couldn't even do that. I'm so sorry. I'm gross. Oh, forgive me. Similarly to Lovecraft Country, we'll be talking about the book and the show. But since the show is already out on Peacock, we'll be reading the book, discussing the book, and then discussing the show right after. And I don't know if you've started, spoiler alert, our next book is Rebecca, and I want to fully apologize to Jennifer because I was like kind of being stodgy and being like, oh, it's going to be like old fashioned. And I secretly thought that it was going to be like kind of boring. And I am like 50 pages in and I am enthralled. I just want to definitely apologize for thinking that it would be like stodgy in my worst impulses. Thank you for listening to Popcorn Book Club. We'll be back next week talking about Brave New World. Nailed it. Thank you, Jennifer. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> That's our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dana Schwartz, and you can find me on Twitter at Dana Schwartz with three Zs. You can follow Jennifer Wright at Jen Ashley Wright. Karama Dankwa is at Karama Drama. Melissa Hunter is at Melissa FTW. And Tian Tran is smart enough to have gotten off Twitter, but she is on Insta at Hank Tina. Our executive producer is Christopher Hesiotis, and we're produced and edited by Mike Johns. Popcorn Book Club is a production of iHeartRadio. See you next week. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.